Hey guys, you're listening to the Mixed Feels Podcast coming at you from NYC with your hosts, Cruz and Unco Dan. Mixed Feels explores and discusses topics meant to give our listeners a heavy dose of mixed feelings. This podcast is an extension of mixedfeels.com. Welcome to the second half of our interview with Davey Millard. Uncle Dan and Davey discuss everything from coffee roasting to the influence of the wa on Japanese society to what it's like to be mixed in Japan. And just a side note, I was unavailable at the time of the interview, so in this episode you will only be hearing Dan and Davey's voices throughout the discussion. In the last episode, we learned how brothers Davey and Noah created Rogatore as a response to a fundamental problem in Japanese society, its work culture. And more specifically, karoshi, which is a term to describe the widespread phenomenon of death by overwork. However, what we did not discuss was how things got this bad in the first place. Many cultures around the world value hard work and providing for one's family. But what is it about Japanese culture that takes the value of hard work to such an extreme that it results in death? You could Google Kiroshi and generally find that the experts usually link the cause of Kiroshi to stress, but Davey believes that a particular kind of societal pressure is at the root of Kiroshi. So my dad has this, he, like he's written a paper on it, because he's an anthropologist, like that's what he studied at university at. So his thing is, there's a Japanese word called wa, and wa means Japanese, but also means peace and like this circle, right? And even if it's not this shame, Japanese people, they, they're not conscious of it, right? But the way they function is that automatically no one wants to disrupt this wa, regardless of if it's in the family or in the little community or in Japan. Wa is like... Harmony, so walk it, walk equilibrium, harmony, status harmony, quo? Harmony, 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 is it, more, me... is it more harmony or is it more status quo? Not status quo. Okay. I don't even know what Japanese word for status quo would be, yeah. Because harmony is more like, it's a good thing. I'm not sure this is a good thing. So, so that's the thing. What technically is a good thing, it's a, it has a positive connotation, but okay. the way that it works is so bad because... Like I saw, I just saw a YouTube video that my friend was sharing about how the guy was praising Japan because everybody is clean and they pick up their garbage and there's an escalator and everybody walks on the right hand side and if you're, you're allowed to stand and stay still if you're on the left side, if you're in a hurry you go out the right. That's a good thing, yeah, but in general the whole point is there's this concept of wa that everybody has inherent. It's, it's in them because of the culture, it, they've learned it, right? And it's so against their nature to break that wall, right? So if you go into a company, you can't break the wall. Like if you break the wall, you're probably worse than a foreigner, you know? You become something other than Japanese. And so you suck it up and you just do everything that your boss wants you to do. Depending on how you view it, the wall can be a good thing. The wall is in fact what causes many other cultures to praise the Japanese for being so hospitable, orderly, clean, and disciplined. So how can something that appears so good also result in something like Kiroshi? According to Davey, death by overwork is not the result of a super strong work ethic. Instead, Kiroshi is born out of fear. Fear of public shame and humiliation. In other words, social suicide. Davey tells a story of a friend named Salmura and how he was treated at work when he disrupted the wall. You know, Salamara too, he was working at a real estate agency, he got punched in the face by his boss because he wouldn't read the three major newspapers. Like, everybody's required to re- read the three news- newspapers, Salamara was cheap, so he was only buying one of them, and reading one of them, 
Because, I mean, and you don't even have time to read all three, you know? But the boss found out, and you punch him in the face. Like, in America, you could sue that guy, right? It's like unwritten rules? Tradition? It's not even, like, it's not even rules. It's just like, like what I was saying, the, the, the nail that sticks out gets hammered, you know? Yeah. You just can't be different from other people. That's why it's been so hard for foreigners to, to live in Japan, because it's, it's like committing suicide if, if you're different. Is the wad distinctive to Japanese? Would they think that? They might like, not even know that. They do things, right? This is just like, to me, I seem like that's culturally just Jap- being brutally Japanese, mm-hmm. right? Because if it's something that's non-negotiable, right? Mm-hmm. That it's like you can't go against it, right? Then it seems like it would be inherently tied to being Japanese or some Japanese identity. Because if you break it, then you're like, that's true. Right? Yeah, yeah. So then, then you also kind of maybe unintentionally disrupt people's notion of the wah, right? Have there been instances when people are resistant? Like, what are you guys doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, even in America, I think it would be kind of weird that we're doing, involved in so many different things, you know? We're not working at for one company. Mm. You know, it's, we're not normal. But in Japan, it's like, the only reason they let us buy is because they think it's normal because we're foreigners, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. people don't give us any flack about it, but if I was like a straight up Japanese male, they would like look at me so weird, treat me so weird. Um, and there's one student at our English school that actually is like that. He has like the weirdest job. He has like three different job titles. He has three different business cards and he knows it. He's like, yeah, I don't have that many Japanese friends except for my core group. They're all Japanese, but he's like, yeah, everybody thinks I'm so weird, but Man, I'm glad I got to know you guys because you guys are just as weird as I am. Mm. So I found it interesting that during our discussion on the Wa, Davy would talk about Japanese people as if they were different from him. He would often refer to himself as foreigner and weird. Since Davy is mixed, this naturally led me to ask him about his experience growing up in Japan and how he was able to find his place in a society that, as we could see from Samurai's example, hammers the nail that sticks out. Like growing up, like I'm sure it was tough because, like, what does it mean to be Japanese? Like biologically, you have to look a certain way, mm. right? There's, I mean, wa probably part of it, but there's also like a physical part of it, yeah. Yeah. At one time at school, some people called Noah the for you know the the word that I was telling you. It's just equivalent to the N word. What is it? It's kaijin. It oh, means okay. outside person. So literally, it just means outside person, but it's really carries a negative you know it's a really bad word for people that lived in japan like my dad in from like the 60s 70s because it's so strong you know it's very it's just so degrading and noah got in a fist fight and i think we were just you know we were we were cool we were strong we were good at sports so we never got picked on we're not the type to get picked on so we know a lot of friends that are half japanese half american that really got picked on maybe they were a little chubby maybe they weren't good at sports Maybe the Japanese was worse than ours, and they got picked on, you know? Like, How so, bad? So we were... Oh, I know a few kids. Uh, I, I know a few kids that got really picked on. Yeah. And especially if you don't speak Japanese, right? So, so sometimes, like, when what, when Asian friends of mine on social media, they, they complain, like, well, I ran into somebody in Walmart or in Taco Bell, and they 
they they were racist towards me and they said, oh, you you have your slanty eyes or your your food stinks, you know, you're short, whatever. It's just kind of like. Who cares about that? Who cares if they said your eyes are slanty or that, you know, whatever, you're short. When, you know, even like in the 2000s when we would visit our friends up north, people would point at us. Up north here. Up north here, where Caleb and Luke, mm-hmm. where Joey lives now, right? Mm-hmm. People would like point at us and laugh at us just because we didn't look like them, right? And I believe that most smart people, educated people in America, mm-hmm. America is a creed, you know? You become American by what you believe in. Not by what you look like. Not everybody believes that because people are stupid, but in Japan, it's so strong, right? The last time I went to visit Joey and my niece, Joey and my sister-in-law, they were telling me that Mesa, my niece, gets picked on because she's a foreigner. But Mesa, Mesa doesn't even, like, she looks pretty Japanese to me. To provide some background, Davey and Noah have an older brother named Joey. Joey has a daughter named Mesa, who to me, honestly, doesn't look white at all. Maybe she has slightly lighter hair color than most Japanese, but that's really the only difference I can see, and that's being nitpicky. So, at this point in Davy's story, I'm honestly confused as to why someone who looks like Mesa still wouldn't be able to at least pass as Japanese or avoid being teased. Before explaining why Mesa, even with her physically dominant Japanese traits, would still be teased and considered a foreigner at school, Davy stops to reflect for a moment on his own experience growing up mixed. Having gone to both Japanese school and university in the States, Davy is grateful that he also had the opportunity of going to an international school, which was a neutral zone, an oasis for those who didn't really fit into any homogenous environment. Davy seems to really feel for Mesa, who appears to be going through what he went through in Japanese school. I think I'm lucky because I have a very strong personality and core. I'm very confident in myself. Because for 18 years, or a little less than that, for 15 years I got treated as a foreigner in Japan, right? And then I went to CAJ at an international school and for three years, in terms of cultural identity, I was telling you that international schools are the best because nobody gives you crap for what you look like. Because everybody's different from each other and you live in harmony, you have to live in harmony, right? Mm-hmm. And then I went to college and everybody treated me as an agent. And it was shocking, because for 15 years, I was only treated like a white person. Mm-hmm. And then, I go to America, to university, and everybody treated me like an agent. I didn't care, because like I was telling you, I feel like I'm above these people that look at color and treat people for who they, what they look like instead of what kind of characteristics, what kind of personality traits they have, right? So I never cared, but if I was weaker or if I was more fragile, I think I would have had a huge identity crisis. I would have been like, who the heck am I? Like... In Japan, I'm foreigner. When I go to America, I'm Asian, you know? But anyway, so Mesa, um, we saw these kids kind of yelling at Mesa, so we asked Joey and Aichan, and Joey and Aichan, they were like, yeah, Mesa's so strong, she gets picked off for being foreigner, you know, like, just just the same crap that our Asian counterparts get in America, like, you have slanty eyes, like, you know, oh, you're white, or all this stuff, right? And Mesa is so strong, she just puts her hand, in English, she just says, talk to the hand, <laughs> and she just walks off, uh-huh. or she'll say stuff in English and, like, kind of, like fight them in English. She'll just be like, shut up, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And we were That's like, you are so strong. You know, we were like, how is Mesa so strong? Mm-hmm. And Aishan's like, every day when she leaves, Joey makes her and me say, I am blessed, I am strong, before they walk out, yeah. or before the kids walk out. 
and then Yumiko and Chieko heard that, and they were like crying because they don't, they're not that strong. Mesa's much stronger. Like, if somebody said that to Yumiko and Chieko, they'd probably like yeah, yeah. Have, a, have a breakdown. But Mesa's so strong, you know? So I'm confused. What is it about Mesa that she gets picked on? Because she looks Japanese to me. She doesn't, her features are not very white at all, you know? So, like, how would they know, right? Her Japanese is good, right? Is it just because they know that her dad isn't, doesn't look Japanese? I mean, it's like this. Remember, there's 300 kids, right? Mm-hmm. And in Japan, every, every once a week, everybody, all school meeting, everybody goes to the gym, every single person, right? Mm-hmm. And if there's 99% Japanese, right, mm-hmm. in Japan, and out of that 1%, there's a lot of Chinese and Koreans. They're indistinguishable, right? Mm-hmm. True. So if there's 300 kids, and there's one girl with a little bit light tinted hair, you just stand out. And that person's face is a little bit okay. lighter tone. So to me, I might not be able to be like, I can't tell the difference. But then like, if you put, if you look at her within this sea, then of it's so the same, obvious. She stands yeah, out. Yeah, it's like there's a black kid, wow. it's like a black boy being yeah. in 300 white kids. It's that obvious to them. So that's just, that's how homogenous it is. That's how homogenous it is. And what I was telling you about the Chinese people and the Koreans, they're so afraid of that, of being picked and being bullied, that a lot of them, the people that have stayed for so long, they've changed their names and they pretend not to be. I try to pass. Like, like Kauri is a good example. Mm-hmm. She became Japanese so that she could hide that, even though she looks really Japanese. But, and and the other thing is, Mesa uses her last name Millard. Mm, okay. Too, okay. and that's a very distinct. That's yeah. a big difference too. What's so interesting to me about what David just said is that he seems to believe that Japanese schools where young minds are molded to fit the wa, to think a certain way, to go with the flow. Davy refuses to send his children to Japanese school beyond elementary. That's because he doesn't want his kids to follow the wa without question. He wants them to be able to think for themselves. Since Davy's mother is Japanese and he was raised in Japan for most of his life, the refusal to have his children learn to think like the Japanese leads me to ask Davy, do you consider yourself Japanese? Like, right now, would you identify as being Japanese? No, no, because the Japanese people's idea and definition is very ethnic. So Davy's response is no, and this fascinates me. In the U.S., a common stereotype for mixed people is that they perpetually try to fit in and be fully accepted by whatever monolithic ethnic group they can pass for. However, this doesn't seem to be the case for Davy. Instead of playing into the stereotype, Davy doesn't try to fit in. Having grown up primarily in Japan, it's easy to understand why Davy wouldn't consider himself American. But why not Japanese? Davy recounts the moment he decided to stop trying to fit into Japanese culture and openly accept his difference. Okay. Right. Did you ever feel the pressure? Like, oh, I, you know, like, I, I wish I were be. Japanese or something, yeah. I think I did, yeah. A little bit, but I think it was because of my family and because of my close friends that I realized really in my heart that I was different. Mm -hmm. And probably at that point I realized that I was different from my friends in America too. That it's really hard for somebody like me to completely relate to, just in terms of language too, you know, somebody that can speak the language, cultural identity. And I realized that, and that's when I was like, it doesn't matter, like, I shouldn't worry about fitting into my Japanese, I think it was probably junior high school at the time. Yeah, and and, and one thing that did it for me was that 
so for high school and university people study for the exam it's called the examinations of hell people study for years right okay. like there's one kid one girl that comes to our English school she said something like she studies 12 hours a day and the thing is these kids that study this much they're not smart they're not wise they just shoving information down their throats actually we have like three kids that are seniors seniors and juniors and they're gonna be studying for two years I think it's evil I think it's actually evil to make kids at the at the youth right when they should be having the most fun which should be when they should be experiencing different things like art and music right mm -hmm. they're just staring at books and shoving information that's useless that they can't apply yet because they're so young mm -hmm. and for me what happened was because I wasn't smart enough because I wasn't studying in Japanese that much I couldn't get into any good high school so my dad was like hey Caleb your, your best friend is gonna go to international school when he's a, a freshman why don't you start going your sophomore year and I was like so I don't have to study for my examinations of hell my dad was like yeah you don't you don't if you if you take this path of going to international school you won't and I was like yes <laughs> but that meant for a whole year all of my friends in Japanese school they were studying like crazy and me and like two other guys who they were so smart that they got accepted into really good high schools by um, interview like because they had such good grades I only hang out with those two guys because everybody else was studying like mad right mm -hmm. and I think at that point I, I that was when it did it I was like wow I I'm so glad I'm not them I do not want to be like them I'm glad I am not them mm -hmm. that was probably when it did it for me when I realized I am not part <laughs> of this culture you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I would not do this I remember the first month of going to international school which is an American-based education I remember feeling the most amount of liberation that I could, uh, that I might ever feel, right? In Japanese school, all throughout high school, only university is like American system, but from elementary to high school, everybody stays in your class with 30 to 50 students. The teacher moves around. Everybody has the same schedule. Everybody has to study the same thing, right? And that grows on you, that, that type of mentality that everyone has to do this, and you wear a uniform, right, from junior high school. Everybody has to be the same, right? Everybody has to do everything the same way. Everybody has to be able to do everything the same way, right? And then I went to international school, and the teacher was like, okay, uh, you have like four electives, what do you want to do? And I was mind blown, I was like, what is an elective? He was like, oh, do you want to take art or, or music? You can choose, and I was like, what? And then he was like, okay, this, cla this class you can take home ec or woodworking, or you can do this, and depending on that my class schedule you know my whole schedule changes right so i was mind blown. i was like i have the freedom to choose what i want to study like i could i could have chosen to study french or spanish or japanese or chinese that's crazy you know it's crazy that you get that much to me at the time i was just blown away i was like wow so definitely that's a big reason i do not want to send my kids longer than elementary school because i'm afraid i'm afraid that they will become japanese that they will become that their minds will work in a certain way where it's like, I have to go with the flow. I have to be part of this wa. And part of that is great. That's why Japan is great. That's why Japan is peaceful, right? Because people have this wa concept. But when it, when you take it overboard, it, you know, same with anything. When you do it too much, you get to the point where you, you, you don't want to offend anyone. You don't want to offend your, your boss. So you do everything the way that everybody else wants you to do, right? 
because I definitely don't want to send my kids throughout high school. In the States, it's so hard to for people who are mixed to, to not feel the pressure of identifying with one dominant group. I mean, obviously it makes sense because, you know, you want to fit in, you want to feel like you're part of a larger community, all these different things that society kind of pushes on you. So, so I'm always very kind of shocked, mm-hmm. surprised, impressed when people who are mixed resist that. Because, you know, the, the, the pull is so strong to uh, the pass, right? Like people who aren't even Japanese, they live here, it's like you're saying, like, you know, they try to pass as being Japanese because mm-hmm. the pressure is so, so intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been talking to my dad about this theory I have. In Japan, the idea about culture is that America, America is like individualistic, right? Mm-hmm. In Japan, it's very group-oriented. Mm-hmm. I have this theory that perhaps it's actually the other way around. Mm-hmm. Maybe what it is is that in different things, Americans are very individualistic. And they want to show themselves as an individual, mm-hmm. but in other things they're very group oriented. Maybe it could be just that no, yeah, yeah, we, we right. don't we don't have to say that it's one or the other. But I realized that like what you were talking about, that pool right, mm-hmm. that mixed kids have. I feel like Americans actually operate on a very group level. They need to be part of a group, right? But in Japan, it's actually that. That that instinct is being smushed and killed, right? So so people are very individualistic, and they express that by being a part of the group, right? Mm-hmm. Their their way of being themselves, being an individual, is only shown by being part of the group, right? So so actually, being an individual is so if you're not part of a group, you're not an individual. Yeah yeah, yeah exa- exactly exactly. <laughs> You're like a you're like a foreigner if you're not part of uh-huh. a foreigner within not in the country but yeah not a not a foreigner but yeah right. you're right. not in any group right so what it means to be an individual is to be part of the fitting exactly yeah, yeah yeah if you don't fit in you're not an individual Davy touches upon an interesting point here internationally people in the U S are perceived as individualistic. And I'm not sure anyone would object to that notion here in the States. What would be the point of life if it weren't to be an individual? To live your best life. For you to do you. But as Davy alludes to, individualism in the U.S. is enacted relative to group identification. Hence, the influence of identity politics in all aspects of American life. To stand out from a group, you need a group from which to stand out from. Davy himself is married to a Japanese woman named Yumiko, and together they have three children. Tora, Keiji, and Mitsuki. It seems important for Davy that he passes along values such as multiculturalism, acceptance, and love to his children. We end our interview with Davy telling a story about teaching his eldest son to accept others who stand out from the crowd. It was so funny. There's this movie called Half. It's like a documentary, yeah? Yeah. So Mateo was talking to me about it, and Mateo asked, Tora, it's like, have you ever watched it? And so I was like, no. And then, and I was like, Mateo, I don't think Tora even understands what the concept of foreigner is. I don't think he thinks he's a foreigner. And Mateo was like, what? Let's ask him. <laughs> so we asked him, and we were like, hey, are you a foreigner? And he's like, no, of course not. And then we were like, are there any foreigners in your school? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, who is it? He's like, Toshka. He's like, I was like, why is Toshka 
uh, foreigner. He's like, because he's Chinese. And I was like, come <laughs> on. I was like, don't ever say that. So I was like, Tora, if anybody ever picks on Toshkin for being Chinese, I give you the permission to punch them in the face because <laughs> nobody deserved to be treated like crap because of what they look like, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, so you don't say he's a foreigner. You're just as much as a foreigner in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in 15 years, people are going to think Toshku is Japanese because he looks Chinese, right? And they're going to treat you like a foreigner. That wraps up the second and final half of our conversation with Davey Millard. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next interview with Sandra Manzanares. Sandra is an Afro-Latina writer and director born in Boston, Massachusetts, to immigrants from Honduras. We sat down with Sandra to discuss her film, as well as her feelings about being Afro-Latina in the U.S., and remember, this podcast is an extension of our site, mixedfeels.com, where you can find the full articles on Rogatory that we've written. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to write us at admin.mixedfeels.com or hit us up on our Instagram page. We look forward to sharing more with you on our next episode. Until then.